0: what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by and also welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. This is part two of my conversation with Tanya Poboda. Last uh, time we talked about representation and demographics, just laying the scene and hitting the hard data of what our community looks like. Go ahead and check that episode out if you haven't already. It uh, should be available both on Shelf Stories and the One Stop Co-op Shop feed. If you want it in podcast form, uh, this episode is going to detail some of the pushback and some of the arguments and some of the discussions that we get into as we go along this bumpy road to hopefully make some progress uh, towards greater representation, inclusive inclusion and diversity, which is the one of the central thesis statements of this channel. I hope that you enjoy the show. Here we go. So if you heard uh, Tanya on different shows, that's kind of the, the layout, right? In terms of the demographics and you know where we are, where we're going, what the community looks like, what the area looks like. We have to set the scene there, right? We have to set the scene there. And I think the most key one is the white designers because that's just you know 96% is a, is a lot uh, in terms of not matching up with what the uh, area is. And it, it on one level, like you said, use the word flummoxing, you know, that like, how could you... How could there be this resistance to, you know, opening up the, you know, the, the the lens to a new audience? Well, that's where the pushback comes in because the pushback is that publishers are in this position where each time one of them kind of like opens up that gate, a massive amount of pushback comes in, uh, where you get people in that area saying, well, this game's not for me anymore. And so I'm going to withdraw my pledge just happened with Frosthaven. Right so Isaac says I'm going to market this to a new audience. Not a, didn't even mention money, he just mentioned, you know, making things safe and not being a jerk and da da da. And then there was this pushback mm-hmm. of like now, you know, what you're doing here is you're not just like broadening the market. You are taking something from us and giving it to this other group that we don't even know if they're going to be it because they're not here yet in big numbers. So like, why are you taking this from us? And it's so you hear things like, okay, well, you know, why are you listening to the vocal minority? Why are you listening to you know um, when you know? Meanwhile, we're trying to articulate that that yeah, we may, there may be not many of us right now, but we're looking at the demographics. We're trying to represent a, a future demographic. But from that the uh, from that modern perspective, it's like okay, or like the, the people that are here already right um there's a perspective of like okay no like really we're 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 not we're not along for the ride for in various ways and and for and, and in various reasons so i wanted to like put the conversation because we could talk about representation all day and how great it is but there are some people out there who either don't like representation at all or who don't like how it's happening they don't like the volume. They don't like the mm. the, the what you know the, the words that are being used. They don't like the Twitter kerfuffles and whatever. Like you know, maybe they're for representation, but they're like, they no, not like that. Now I don't want to play anymore. So we sh- we should break that down because you encountered that specifically directly when you when, when we could start there when you put out your survey.
1: Yeah, no. And this has happened a, a bunch of times. Um, and again, it's, it's really, really interesting to me because, you know, I have this like corporate background. I'm, you know, studying to do my PhD and investigating the space um, as I did uh, beginning in 2018. Um, I thought, you know, there's something here and I really want to kind of dip my toe into the water and figure out what's going on. And what I was surprised by, and I guess I'm a bit naive, um, is how visceral and toxic And uh, frankly, really disturbing, I found the discourses and, you know, I'm not going to, it's not, they are not my stories to tell. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but what I encountered when I first started looking at this sector was the level of um, toxicity and some really, really good people who can't, for reasons of safety, participate in, in online discourse about board gaming, period. Uh, For their own safety, Um, people who had their children threatened, um, they've received death threats, um, and I was really surprised by that. And you know, again, uh, taking my you know multinational corporate lens, I I thought um, you know there's another factor that's really delimiting delimiting the hobby, and you know this happens in other sectors um, where this kind of behavior um, really keeps people away. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can share, you know, just from my own experiences, you do this thing. Um, if you're a woman or a BIPOC individual, LGBTQ, you look for, you look for safety. Um, and so what I will always do, you know, no matter where I go, I was just thinking about this the other day. If I, if I enter a store and I, I actually, I look, I scan the environment Um, Sometimes going going into a store is, well, especially right now, but I don't leave my house. Uh, But before the pandemic, I will look for things that give me pause and make me think, okay, well, do I really want to come back here? You know, I used to walk into some game stores, I shan't say the names, and I would see the manager berating staff. Um, It was dirty. Um, People were having loud, angry conversations. Um, Things were in disarray. Um, there was a lot of toxic behavior, um, some really offensive artwork on the walls, uh, you know, things that just thought made me think if, if I didn't have my significant other here with me, I would not come back here. Um, and that was that was a really interesting thing. And I was like, seriously, this is this can't possibly be sustainable, you know, and and I and, I, and again, that's what got me really curious about, OK, there's there's a, a disconnect. There's a real appetite. I meet people all the time who, you know, like board gaming, but don't like that culture. And so that is another key delimiting factor in board gaming. And that's something that I've definitely heard. Um, And I'm just going to pop this one open, um, which is that one in three of the participants in my survey actually said, I don't go to public gaming events at all because I'm afraid to go to those public events, you know, for a variety of reasons. Some of some of it was, you know, I can't get childcare. I don't have a lot of leisure time. When I do, I can only do it, you know, in my home. But other people reported these really harrowing stories about how they knew they were not welcome. They heard they were not welcome. And they didn't want to engage for fear. That's a huge problem. And again, if I were a financial backer to a publisher, if I were a a uh, larger, mid-sized, or even small publisher. This dynamic would really trouble me because that's something that is actually keeping you small. It's keeping you barely solvent, mm-hmm. and that toxicity that surrounds this particular sector keeps people away. And you know, even people who don't, you know, engage with board game tr- Twitter or read it like I do systematically every single day as a researcher, um, they're aware of it. And you know, one of the other things that um, that I found was. That, you know, uh, one in three said, if they engage with board game topics online, they have received online threats, insults, and or rude messages. So a lot of people, and that's another huge problem for the sector, because if people are scared to even talk about it online, how can you find out who your audience is? Mm -hmm. There's a huge, giant, um, quiet majority of people who really, really like this. Who really want to do this, but cannot be made known? They can't make that known online because they're they're scared to do it because mm-hmm. there's a toxic um, community, and so you know. And, and again, as a researcher, I've uncovered I've uncovered this myself, um, where it's it's a little like I'm in a, you know I'm a private eye um, trying to investigate a particular problem in a you know I don't know an organization and. The, right out of the gate in my first study, a very small scale, very, very careful study, um, I received threats. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the investigator looking at whether a a workplace was toxic, and getting threatened by the people in the workplace. And, you know, your eureka moment comes almost immediately when you say, okay, I've been asked to investigate this, and I've received a bunch of death threats so yeah maybe the community is a bit toxic mm-hmm. so that's a that's a really fascinating dynamic and another key delimiting factor and what is i think the the big message i would love to to get out there as loudly as i possibly could is it's up to leaders it's up to people with big platforms it's up to the publishers it's up to these big corporations and their funders mm-hmm. to make that stop that, that is never going to be good for business, that toxic, toxicity in that community is keeping you small, is delimiting your growth, and is, is, is actually um, stopping innovation. Um, and that is, is, is a death knell to any sector. If you can't solve that, then you will not grow, period.
0: Let's make it real for the people, Tanya. Show them
1: some of the slides that you have of specific
0: yeah. um, the specific pieces of feedback that you've gotten that were not great.
1: This, this is my little image uh, that reminds me of where this p- is in the presentation. It's a little picture of a troll. Mm. I'm going to pop it up. So here we go. Um, so, you know, one of the things, and again, just investigating this um, as a researcher, uh, I, you know, this was some of the most recent commentary I got. Um, and, and this is like, this is a fascinating comment. Um, uh, this is a Twitter user um, who, you know, systematically harasses uh, individuals on Twitter in, in the board gaming space. Um, you know, I'm, I'm intentionally sharing the, the individual's, you know, name um, because this is a fascinating well, it's a fake,
0: fake name. It's not a, it's not it's a fake
1: name. It, yeah. It's a, it's a Twitter <laughs> handle of, of many right. And one of the interesting things about this is, and just think about this statement. So I was sharing the diversity of my sample and this person writes back, that's because no one normal would help you with your stupid project. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating about this is normal means white male. White male,
0: white male gamer, yeah.
1: Yeah, and this is is a really, really interesting area of research that is happening in every possible um, field right now. A lot of the default human um, in healthcare, in engineering, in um, computer, human computer interaction studies is that the default human is the white male. A lot of our products, services, company organizations, the way we're structured as we as we work during the day, have been designed with a certain imagined person in mind. Mm-hmm. That is a white, middle class male with a certain educational background. And you see this playing out in a lot of things, software, hardware, um, even the way we design airplanes, the default human has always been imagined to be the white male. And this person is just parroting back what the broader culture does, which is the, the default human is not a woman, mm-hmm. is not a, uh, a racialized person, a black, indigenous person of color. It is not anyone other than a white, um, right. you know, heterosexual, middle class male.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so, so, um, normal.
0: Right. right. So uh, uh, two things, uh, one in defense. Uh, so I'm going to I'll put this in post. Uh, but and I saw this at the Game Hub presentation. This picture of a this is a sample of um, protagonists in video games. It's a lot of white men. It's a lot, yes. a, lot a lot. Like if you just the, the main protagonist. So like you might have diversity, you know, in your cast. But like the protagonist, the front facing character, the one on the box that's looking at you is almost always a white man. So that, that becomes like the normal person, right? So we're, we're not just talking about we're gonna talk about we'll talk about video games, talk about all over the place.
1: It's every, it's everything. And you <clears> know it's, it's
0: all over the place it's everywhere.
1: Yeah. And um, you know okay. there's actually there's actually a, like a the monomyth uh, Joseph Candle Campbell, Campbell's monomyth is often a hero alone. And right. it's often a you know blonde haired, blue-eyed or white male protagonist that has a journey and claims his prize. His prize is often you know his 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 lady love. And this this particular narrative structure plays out in a lot of things. So board gaming is not alone. Mm -hmm. It's part of a larger cultural issue. But this is again, a very sociologically fascinating comment to me because that notion of normal, Mm -hmm. that notion of default human, Pervades our entire culture. It's systemic. Right. And so, you know, women's healthcare is not as well researched. You know, you can think of a number of different fields, sectors, and human endeavors where, you know, if you're not a white male, um, you are f- forgotten or products are not designed for you. And again, this is a pervasive problem, not just in board gaming. Right. Okay.
0: So I am going to, and I sent you this. And I think this is about a good, as good a place as I need to put this one in because there is a counter argument. And, you know, I try to be empathetic. I try to reach out to the other sides. And obviously we have a perspective here in Shelf Stories, um, you know, and you are free to, you know, interact with that in the comments, all that kind of stuff. Okay. But there is a, a comment. So what I imagine a person would say, pushing back against that would be that it's not about, we think that white men are the normal. Right? It's not quite about that. It's about the SJWs are spreading ideology. They're spreading indoctrinated. Like the, the white men could be indoctrinated by SJW nonsense. So like what they might mean by as a quote unquote normal gamer yep. is someone who is not infected by SJW nonsense. Right? Right. So, and so like, okay, and I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a, um a part of a passage. Sure. Right. And I, and I said this to you. We're, we're going to kind of break this. We're going to break this down. You said you had oh. some uh, interesting comments to that. Yes. So then. <clears throat> so it kind of bleeds the line. Right. So it's like, OK, there, there's a sense of like, OK, the white man is the quote unquote normal, but we're not, you know. Um, but there's also this other piece of, you know, SJW nonsense. So here we go. So this was in response to when Elizabeth Hargrave and others, she wasn't the only one. Uh, but, you know, she hurt you know, because of her platform and because of her stature, hers got the most attention. Uh, when Tiny Bit Dungeons launched, and it had a scantily clad female with a suggestive, sexualized pose on the front cover, you know the uh, the, the comments were, uh, you know, like, can we look at this, please? And then, <laughs> and then the pushback. With, with that, that's what we're talking about here is the pushback. And this is one of the comments uh, that that came down here. So then, I'm going to just read a, a section of it. Uh, so the modern board game industry, as we know it, was brought into the limelight predominantly by white men. Women in minority said, Hey, we want to play. So we said, Sure, play our games, but didn't stop there. Next, it was, Hey, want to be included. So guys like Jamie Steadmeyer gave Elizabeth Hargave a shot as a designer. And admittedly, she put out a home run with Wingspan, apparently a surprise. That should have been inspiration for women to break into the industry with hard work, proving herself with great design and putting out quality games with themes and covers you find appropriate. But no. Just like with every other good thing in life the last few years, movies, TV, just like you said, movies, TV, video games, sports, et cetera. So we're talking in the same language. The SJWs start coming in with the complaining and demanding for change, demanding for inclusivity, demanding for justice because we can't have covers like this anymore. And anyone who who cries boo and decides to fight back is called racist, sexist, et cetera. White males silently put up with it over the last year in almost every facet of our life. And we've reached a breaking point. Our voices suddenly become silent. We're told that we are the issue. We're told to shut up about things we have no business speaking about. I have gotten sick and tired of sitting back, hearing, complaining. This is where I start saying that the white male doesn't need to be, you know, silenced. So,
1: yeah, it's it's incredibly. I I, I really uh, I, I really read that with a great deal of interest. What's fascinating about it is Elizabeth Hargrave, because um, I read I read uh, board game Twitter every day systematically, like a researcher. What she, what she did was she, she basically sent out a tweet that said, you know, what's going on with the lighting on this particular board game cover? She said, you know, what, because there was lighting direction was a bit of a challenge in that particular cover, and there was a particular um, unique light source that was on the cleavage of one of the characters, and so it appeared that there was a multi, multiple, multiple light sources. And she just, it was a, it was a, a kind of um, it was a, it was a jokey lighthearted comment, nothing about, you know, this cover needs to go. This Kickstarter is no good. Nothing like yeah, that. Uh, it was a, a very. Cancel, the
0: cr- cancel, nope, cancel culture, nothing. cancel and them. Yeah.
1: Incredibly supportive of the designer and the Kickstarter never once said, you know, but she, she made a kind of tongue in cheek, comment about the multiple lighting sources and was wondering about the physics of it. Um, Why was, you know, did light suddenly appear um, on, on the, on the, on the cleavage of this one character, one character. And what's fascinating is all of the things that happened after that. Now I can share that um, again, this is cultural. So it's a larger force at work than even that individual Bram in the Kickstarter was aware What I would love for Bram to do is to take a step back and wonder aloud to himself, why are you so angry? What makes you angry about an individual making a tongue-in-cheek, flippant, not even flippant, like serious remark about lighting physics in this particular cover art? It would be something that anyone doing it any day of the week There were, you know, tens of thousands of these kinds of comments on Twitter. What specifically about this comment made you so angry?
0: I can answer that. Let me answer in the voice of Brad. Right. I'll I'll go. I try. I try to be as empathetic as I can. Okay. So what made, so if I become, if I acquire that um, persona, what made me so angry? Okay. So this is not the first time, right? um, This is a thing that has happened for, you know, game after game, after game, after game, after game. It's not just like the, you know, the one comment. And, you know, uh, if you don't, it's like it's like it's like seeing a roach like, okay, if I see one roach, I'm I'm sure that there are others around that. And to and to be sure, it it wasn't like you said, it was it was her tweet. But like I remember when the project first launched, there were others who wrote blogs and who wrote tweets. And so it was like like it was almost like um, uh, Elizabeth tweet was at the, the crest of a wave and that wave was going to swallow the game and make it safe right and safe being in the the like you said before like what is a normal male that is the lefty scare quote yep. the righty scare quote is safe right and what does that mean safe means safe not interesting safe um you know political which means that there's a there, I, like I I could no longer use this game to escape because it's gonna give me political messages you know and it's not gonna uh, or, or whatever so then what Bram wanted to say was what made me so comfortable about that was because I, it's, the world is changing and the world we knew was good. And, and, and just speaking from brand perspective, like, okay, the things were trending in the right direction anyway, without the nonsense, Elizabeth Hargo is allowed to design. Eric Lang is allowed to design. How about more to like just, and, and come on in and, and just, you know, let the market churn. and If you want to come in the, and then let that happen. Let the market speak. Mm -hmm. The loud voices, the podcast, Jason on Shelf Stories, Tanya and her channel, uh, Sen and Eric and Mandy and, and, uh, you know, all these other people that are saying things are just that we're actively making it worse a, we're actively subverting a process that could happen naturally because, and you know, not every part, and we'll get to that, every, not every not every part of pushback believes in diversity, but at least as someone like Brian would say, yeah, I believe in diversity, that's great. We can get there without the the loudness and the wokeness yeah. and the indoctrination.
1: Yeah. So what's, what's really fascinating about that specific dynamic is um, I'm not sure that that individual knows why the fact that a woman says something that would have been probably passed without notice if a guy had said, Hey, check out the weird lighting on that, on that, on that cleavage period, you know, just musing aloud, like what's going on here with the lighting. That's, that's what she said. And this resulted in a firestorm of controversy that continues to this day. And the fact that a woman is saying something that is quite, it was factual Um, It was slightly funny. Um, If it were a guy saying that, you probably wouldn't have gotten so mad. And I think the other thing that I will say, and there's a lot of dynamics like this, you know, I, I read an article years ago, and I think about it sometimes, you know, there's uh, parts of, of certain beaches where you try and surfboard, you know, you say you, you, you schlep on the beach with, a, with your, you know, rented surfboard, and the, and the diehard people that are there are like, get out of our, you know, area of the beach, this is ours, that's our waves, get out. Um, And, you know, there's actually some violence that happens as a result of that. And I sometimes think that that's kind of the dynamic that goes on in gaming, Mm -hmm. Um, that this is our space, you know, when you walk into reality, yes, you walk into certain friendly local game stores and you get a weird look. I mean, I've gotten them all the time. I'm a middle-aged white woman, uh, mostly wearing all black, who comes into, you know, your space. I'm asking questions. You want to talk to your buddies. You got to go and talk to this, you know, probably a mom, how boring. And you go into some of those game stores and it's like, I've just invaded their space. I've done something transgressive. um, And you don't want me there because I'm getting in the way of your community and your fun. Um, But that mentality is horrifyingly selfish. Um, If you believe in gaming, so I'm talking to Bram here now. Um, If you believe in gaming, like I believe in gaming, I I actually believe like gaming is like medicine. I actually carry little games in my purse um, and I give them out to kids. You know, I'm I'm, I'm weird that way. I love gaming. I think it actually is. It is an empathy engine. Uh, It is a, a way to heal. It is a way to relax. It's a way to tell stories. It's a way to connect with people. I love it. Why wouldn't you want to do anything you possibly could to make it more inclusive? And if people are telling you, if I'm telling you, if, if a lot of voices in this industry are telling you that representation is just a, a little modification, you know, more themes, different stories, representation on our work is, is a way in. Why would you ever want to stop someone from, from feeling welcome and playing? if you care about it like I do. Because, and- I, I, I,
0: again, yeah. I'll let me invoke Bram, right? I'll sure. invoke Bram. Because you tell me what to do, right? And so, like, you know, let's say it's a a, a a publisher, right? You know, so like Isaac with Frosthaven, or, you know, again, we'll bring back The Witcher example, That people don't know it, uh, you know, The Witcher was a large Kickstarter, very, 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 very large and successful, uh, off of the IP, the, the source material of the IP, is uh, based on Slavic myths, which is you know, I, you know, know, racially white, but it's it's difficult when it comes to European state, but like in terms of how we process as Americans, we're looking at a bunch of white guys. Uh, but I did want to at least bring in the European context. Anyway, okay. So from our perspective, a bunch of white guys, and there are no female witchers. And in the base game, there were no no, no female witchers. And then I think they were included as a stretch goal or as like as an add on or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, and they'll eventually kind of put it in, but like with the, the, the core experience out of the box, dudes white dudes right okay so then when we talk about representation when when you know Tanya comes in and she says I want to be represented I want to be included that sounds to me I, speaking in the place of a, of a brand person uh as you're telling me what to do and mm-hmm. if the author wants to make a product they should make the product and I shouldn't hear you know that that'd be great make your own products you know the field is clear no one's stopping you you know, uh, no one's stopping uh, the, you know, the, the, the uh, BIPOC designer or whatever it is. And if you make great games, great. But if a person wants to make something, then they, they should have that authorial kind of, uh, uh, authority. they shouldn't have those constraints and they shouldn't feel that pressure. That's, that's the thing. When, when, a, when, a, when a right person talks about the left, they always talk in terms of pressure. Mm-hmm. Like we're pressuring people and we're guilting people. We're using our victimhood to weaponize and, you know, like, like browbeat change. And, when, and, and, that, and there's no way that we could do it. And in fact, um, like the word woke, and I, I might have a separate thing on the word woke. Um, you know, use, use woke in my comments, you will get removed, by the way. Uh, because woke automatically means pressure and basically reverse racism. Like you're basically calling somebody reverse racist, racist against white people. And so like you talked about, like and I, was, I was listening to you before, um, talking about like, you know, normal white men, everything. That sounds to Bram like you're racist against white people.
1: Yeah, um, that's a that's a question I get a lot. So here's here's another really important dynamic, um, and I'm going to try and not get too jargony. But one, <laughs> so um, I'm white. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm practically I I I'm so pale. Uh, my my whole family is desperately pale. We're so white. Um, and there's a really interesting dynamic. Um, a lo- among a lot of the, the white respondents that filled out my survey, of which there were was about um, about 76-ish percent were white. And one of the things that they shared with me is, and it's, it's this idea, it's called homophily. You don't, it's a, it's, a, it's a big word, it's a sociological concept. And it's this notion that, you know, white people want to see other white people. That's, that's kind of, if you distill it down, that's, that's the kind of the heart of it for marketing, which a
0: modern person will deny. Yes. They'll deny because I just, they'll say, I all, I only see people. I only, I don't see race. I just want to see, I see people that they'll deny yeah. that, but go ahead. Just want to set the context because it, yeah. that, that it explains a lot of the break and the yeah. misunderstanding so, we're having.
1: Homophily break it down is love of the same. So, you, you know, and it's used a lot in marketing and it's, it's actually incredibly incorrect. And there's a whole wonderful lecture by Dr. Wendy Chun. I totally recommend homophily. It's amazing. But basically what she does is she takes you through this discredited sociological concept from the sixties and seventies, where it's this idea that people like to stick to their own super offensive. And it's used in a lot of things. Now, this mythological concept. So I'm, I'm a white person, and I don't want to see white people on everything. And I am, you know, I'm representative of legions of white people who don't want to see that in our anything. I, I am, I seek out, I seek out diversity. I, and, and, and when you look at some of the demography and the, the educational backgrounds and the, the, the kind of perspectives of some of the people who filled out the, the survey, I heard that from white participants overwhelmingly. I want different experiences, and particularly from my leisure. I want to see diversity in my films, I want to read diversity in my books, I want to play diversity in my games. I'm white. So this idea, this discredited idea of love of the same is, is bunk. It's absolutely a terrible, terrible marketing idea. It's a terrible product design idea. And people have a tendency to want to design around an imagined audience that's a lot like them. Mm -hmm. And that makes for bad products. And I used to have to say this to tech companies all the time. If you're imagining that your users are exactly like you, that's a bad strategy because that just tells me you haven't done your research, that you're not looking at who your real audience is and you haven't even bothered to go out and chat with people. And so this idea of homophily love of the same, that's not even resonant with white people. So again, I'm not necessarily, my research isn't targeted at Bram necessarily, it is targeted at the publishers who make games. And I think that, that, that I'm trying to prevail upon publishers, people who make and develop games, that this is the wrong strategy. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't, and I'm white, Bram, I'm talking to Bram, I'm white. And I am absolutely disheartened and appalled that I would ever ask a company or a sector to keep people out, to prevent them from enjoying this incredible hobby in any way, shape or form. I, I, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And feeling that kind of visceral anger, it's something else. And the fact that a woman is speaking up online about something, that's, we all have it. It's all inside of us, where sometimes I even have it I grew up in a very, very rural place in Canada. And sometimes I'll be really nervous to speak up because I was raised to, I, I ate after the men ate, you know, I I worked on a farm. Um, I was raised very traditionally. And sometimes I even have these moments where I think, oh, that woman should stop speaking up because she might get in trouble. I have these visceral feelings inside because I've been enculturated by a culture and sometimes I'll feel upset or angry about something. And I don't even know why I'm scared about something. And it's because we're, we've been enculturated in such a way that when someone is speaking up who is not an authority or a person who should be speaking up and, and who are those people? Think about it. Analyze yourself and realize that your visceral anger is coming from something that you've been enculturated to believe. And I, I had this problem in my early career where I shouldn't be speaking up because women don't speak up. And that's a really tricky thing. And that visceral anger that these, these individuals feel comes from a deep cultural place.
0: Okay. So they're victims so, too. Okay. I mean, I will continue. Well, let, let's continue. Just I will go as far as I can uh, <laughs> uh, just from what I try to understand. Okay. So someone like Brand would say, and I, I don't want to like, you know, if, if, if the actual Bram is watching it, this is not personal. This is just like a construction, right? Okay. They would say, I don't mind when a woman speaks up. I don't mind when a, you know, a black person, you know, I have a lot of black friends or whatever they'll say. What I mind is when they make me feel like I'm a racist for liking a thing, right? So I like The Witcher. Does that make me sexist? I like... You know, I, I don't mind the, 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 the grid of, you know, white men that, you know, in terms of our video game, in terms of the protagonist, like I, I really enjoy that stuff. And that's as more than I like it, it's my escape. Right. And so, you, so that's, there's that trope too, of like, this is my escape. Like, this is something, you know, I work hard. I, I make all the right choices. I do everything that I want to do. And it's like, okay, this is my escape. I want to, I want to do this. And I want to be able to enter this space without anybody on the outside telling me that I'm bad. So you could open your mouth and say stuff it's just what you're saying this woke nonsense that I'm racist or sexist or whatever for just wanting to escape and just wanting to play games.
1: Yeah, and that's that's another really really interesting thing um where it's like don't uh don't bring your real world um, concerns into my escape. Um but that's an a, a really really interesting uh, kind of a logical fallacy because um, it already is. So, you know, for example, with the Witcher, and I'm actually um, of Slavic descent, I I actually studied uh, Slavic folklore. Foboda, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It means something hilarious in Czech. Don't look it up. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I actually had a Czech speaking guy who said it, it means a uh, hobo, uh, but but bad, like an insult. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think that's hilarious. Um, but What's interesting about Slavic culture is, and, and, and this is another really interesting fallacy that comes up a lot from European players and designers, is our cultures aren't diverse. Are you, are you kidding? Of course they are. And you know even I, I worked with an archeologist a couple summers ago and I was arguing with someone online about the fact that Viking culture was diverse. Now it was because Vikings collected people from their various raids. It wasn't for a good reason, but their communities were diverse. So was medieval, you know, England. It had diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have in potentially like um, a background. I'm, you know, my family's, uh, it's called Black Irish, which is a weird term. And it's basically this idea that, um, you know, Turkish people came to Ireland and, you know, had, kids with with Irish people the point being that all of these communities have always been diverse every single one of them you're setting you know something in medieval um UK it's diverse I, uh, a viking village there is diversity there um you know the the one argument i got you know great western trails you know is all men and there are women cattle drivers i i have been i, I was raised on a ranch and my, everybody rode horses and herded cattle you have to on a farm um so the the point here is that women's stories have always been there um black indigenous persons of color stories have always been there and we're willfully deciding as makers as creators as companies to never tell their stories Mm. and that's weird (laughs) i just think it's odd and, you know, as a kid, and I can only, again, go back to my anecdotal experience, as a kid, I was not allowed to play or enter these spaces. You know, Dungeons and Dragons were just coming up. I begged to join a group, and they told me girls don't play games. And I, wasn't, I was told I couldn't join. The point is that it's delimiting both the growth of the sector as well as human flourishing. Because we're not allowing people in. So it's, you know, going into that friendly local game store and having everyone turn and say in various ways, you're not welcome here. And why do you want to do that? Why do you want to protect that space? What about, you know, other people entering that space and having those experiences do you want to keep from them? Why do you want to keep that from them? And that's the thing that I, I puzzle over all the time. It's like a kid, it's like a, a, a mean kid with all the toys saying, get out. Right. And th- that's not a good, that's not a good thing. That's not a good ethic um, or approach to your life. And it, it I find it genuinely flummoxing. Um, so the point being, um, that you know, the the lack of diversity, the lack of representation across multiple cultural spheres is a process of enculturation and, and, and culture emphasis on the default human, um, purported default human. And that is, we're, we're, so, we're all kind of victims of this larger cultural problem. And it's taken me years to see it clearly, I'm doing a ton of reading and a ton of talking to people and a ton of research to get to a place where I understand that everyone is kind of in this machinery of exclusion. Right. And it's unfortunate, and I wish we I wish we weren't doing that to each other.
0: Okay, gonna put Bram away. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is great. You know, I think that you know, lying, uh, laying out a lot of issues. Um, okay, so number one, uh, if now it's kind of Jason talking to a Bram or whoever else, uh, we're not trying to replace y'all, right? But what what um what Tanya said was, he just we don't want to see only white men. Right. Is that fair? Is that a fair thing to say?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if I were, you know, uh, the leader, a leader of a game group or a leader of a particular group or somebody who is in that beachhead, you know, that beachhead, that epicenter of gaming, um, I would be doing whatever I possibly could to welcome people in. I would be an ambassador, you know. Uh, Yeah. And uh, there's I. Yeah. There's a there's a story about when I started really early stage gaming way back, you know, in the 90s, um, I was a member of Lambda Moo, which was this community. And my job was to stand by the door, uh, you know, sometimes and welcome people in and show them around. It was the thing I loved to do the most. And once I got my my sea legs in that community, all I wanted to do was show people around. And I don't understand when you're passionate about gaming, why you don't want to do that. It it's it's genuinely heartbreaking.
0: So okay. Um, so a couple things. So the context here, I have to reiterate it over and over and over again. We're not trying to replace. We would we all we want is to advocate for a gaming space that looks like the community. If the community is drifting towards this kind of majority-minority paradigm. That doesn't mean that we want to like wipe out all white people. And maybe uh, some people get scared by the, the way that some of, some people on our side talk on Twitter. Oh, get these white people out of here. You know, it's like, okay. Um, breaking that down and you know, looking at what the, the longer thread of what people are saying, so like longer interviews like this and longer studies like, you know, Tanya, it's not about replacement. It's not about making, you know, hatred, hating white people. I'm on the one-stop co-op shop. I'm surrounded by white people all the time. It's like five, it's me and five white dudes. I, I, I it's fine. It's fine. It's just, it's this, there's this mindset, right? And what is the mindset, right? What the mindset is that, you know, there, there's a panic that sets in, right? There's a moral panic. Uh, when change happens too fast, like they, they did a study and it was really fascinating about like the people who were at the January 6th uh, incident at the white house. And many, many of the people there were not necessarily from poor places. They were from neighborhoods that experienced rapid demographic change and it was disorienting. Right. And you know, they, like that, that it was a clue to them that that, you know, now I'm not safe. Where it's like, well, you are, I guess, but they don't, it just doesn't feel right. Because we're we're talking a lot about feelings here. So then, you know, I mean it happens in like your neighborhoods, like so, you know, the neighborhood, like all of a sudden, like if a, if we call it the tipping point. So it's like if the if the diversity gets to a point where like it the neighborhood doesn't feel like there anymore, they're out. You know, or they're just gonna or they'll rage. Yeah, uh, you know, that, that was that was trending the other day, white rage. What's white rage? White rage is fear that change will take away the dominant space. And that's kind of what, you know, that that's kind of what we're facing like in terms of what where, where is this backlash coming from? Like you said before the floor moxing thing. Well, they're afraid that hierarchy is going to flip and they're going to be on the bottom or that they're going to be um, erased entirely or that that we're a bunch of racists and we're going to give racism to them. And you know, if you use the labels, if you use woke and mob like of course you're going to, that's all you're going to see. So I really encourage you to not use those labels, but we'll talk about that other time. But does that make sense in terms of like explaining the the flummoxing idea, like, you know, like that that the the sense of like it isn't just like an easy thing. There's a panic that sits in where it's like, you know, I, I can I can have one token. I can have two tokens. But then if I reach a, a threshold, ooh,
1: yeah, not mine what- anymore. One of the really, I actually, um, I had to do a research project on moral panics, and what you've described is is an incredibly good example. So, for example, um, when when b- bicycles were entering the scene in um, in 18th century London, uh, or you know the the countryside in Britain, um, there was this moral panic about the fact that women would become um, they would actually, they they would physiologically change because they were going to be bike riding and they would actually become um, wanton women uh, with no morals. They would have, um, their, their features would become coarsened and they would get what was called a bicycle face um, they would actually lose their ability to have children because you know bicycles were were, were from Satan. Um, the automobile then came and people put caltrops you know uh, obstructions on the road to prevent the the rise of the automobile because they were, were alarmed by this the, the, the race of progress. Mm-hmm. So these kinds of, of forces have existed throughout history you, you know um, so, so, um, Plato Socrates railed against the written word, and said that, you know, when you started to write things down, this technology was just too weird. You would lose your ability to, to conjure your own thoughts. And that the written word would get in the way of your, um, you know, spiritual, um, uh, you know, goodness. And you wouldn't be able to, you know, recite huge epic poems from from rote anymore. Because if you're writing them down, that's a cheat. We have, as human beings, done this to ourselves over and over and over are, you know, name name the technology. There's been a moral panic about it. You know, D&D was a moral panic. I wrote an essay about how the satanic panic mm-hmm. in uh, Canada it was was it started in out West and, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was was part of it. And I remember a, as a teenager thinking, this is d- this is really dumb. Um, because people didn't understand it. They didn't like the way things were changing, they didn't get it, and they they wrapped it in this sort of panicky, you know, satanic thing. Yeah, and the, it, the
0: panic is fear. Yeah. The panic is fear that the yeah. world as I know it is it's going changing. to end. And I don't and like it. I'm going to be on the bottom of something. I'm going to have stuff taken away. My products gonna change, yep. my fun is gonna change yep. and for the worse. And they're gonna, you know, people are gonna take stuff away from me, and they're gonna tell me what to do. You know, when in terms of, and that's those, that to me, that's like the two things like, okay, you know, don't take my stuff. Don't tell me what to do. And like moral change inspires that sense of like, okay. And well, that like, like change does. And when we speak, like I, to your point before, like when a woman speaks and like the, it, the, and, and with authority, it's not just like speaking, but with speaking with authority, like there's a, um on some folks, there's a, there's a sense of like, okay, my world is, uh you know, going to change for the worst and I'm going to lose out. And, You know, that may sound stigmatizing. That may sound like I'm kind of like, you know, saying that you're, you're you're, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Like, everybody feels this. That's, that's what you said. Like, everybody feels this at at any kind of change. And that's why we wanted to, you know, put the flag out there. It's like, okay, we're not trying to flip hierarchies. We're not trying to be racist against white people. We just want the board gaming community to look like the community. That's it
1: hundred percent. And it, it, it comes down to, again, the, the, the people that I'm addressing with my research are much more around the publishers and the people who are creating these games. But again, I would say that you, you can look to history um, and see how these moral panics crop up when often it's a, it's a perfect storm of ignorance. Insofar as they don't know what the new thing is, you know, when people were talking about bicycles back in the day, there were pastors writing letters to the editor about how awful they were, because they didn't really understand what this new thing was, or what it was going to do to everybody. And so that, that perfect storm of kind of lack of knowledge about this new thing that people are asking mm-hmm. for, combined with just fear, um, and fear, then is anger. Um, so, you know, I, I went to this great workshop where, you know, someone broke it down and said, when people get really, really angry, they're just scared. They're really scared. And, you know, if and i always now, whenever I hear from somebody who's really angry, I think this, but this person is just terrified. And I try to, you know, approach them with a little bit of invitational rhetoric and, and as, as nice as I possibly can be, because I realize you know, when I get a death threat or I get a, a terrible remark on Twitter, I'm just dealing with somebody who is a deeply fearful person who doesn't understand what's happening. And
0: although what I will say is, so, um, so, you know, kind of coming to an end, (laughs) we've really gone down the road, but this has been a really fascinating conversation. Um, I do think that I don't want to let people off the hook on that. Like there are, I think most of, most folks are, kind of, you know, in that scared mode of like, okay, what's this? What's happening over here? This sounds bad, you know, and they put it on the person. They don't like kind of, they don't do that self-effective mode. Um, nope. Especially the change outside. That's another like aspect of what you're talking about. Like when the moral panic, when a, when a change happens from outside, and they can't control it and they can't yeah. like, it, it seems foreign. So it's like, Oh no. So then yes, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like feels is, <laughs> and <laughs> I find that a good response is empathy and kindness. I've, I've had people come up, you know, on my, YouTube with the, the words, you know, the buzzy words, whoa, cancel calls, CRT, whatever it is, talk through them. And it's like, oh, wow, th- this isn't as bad as I thought. And that's cool. But there is that small core, that trolley core that truly is homophobic, racist. Yep. yep. And my, our, my invitation to, you know, people who are, Either in like a, just like a moderate, I want to play space or in that hurt, I'm being accused of being a racist space. It's like what you're holding on to is actually giving cover to really nasty elements.
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and, you know, absolutely. I mean, empathy is not sympathy. I don't like, I can imagine why they're like this, but I don't, I think that the way that they're, they're dealing with their anger is the most destructive way. Right. Sympathy possible. is,
0: sympathy means you agree yeah. with the person. Yeah, right? I, em- empathy. Exactly. Empathy means we understand the person, but we no, I can. Imma- I I can
1: imagine really why this person is is right. is enormously fearful and and how maladaptively they're dealing with their fear. I I can't. I don't sympathize with it whatsoever. Empathy means I can imagine why it's like that, but I right. I don't I don't condone it by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Right. And what you said uh, before that the maladaptive treating like the, how you choose to react to how you're feeling and how you choose to react to what you, how you interpret what I'm saying or what a, a lefty quote unquote person is saying. And it is interpretation. Like not every lefty is a, a raging person ready, ready to call everybody racist, sorry. Like yeah. you gotta, you gotta to deconstruct and like really understand what we're trying to say. Make the Boreami I mean, community make look like the actual community. That's all I'm trying to say. So then that triggered reaction, it, you know, they may end up being trolly themselves, yes. you know, and and give and give a threat. And, you know, and, but what that does is you, you develop that language, woke, cancer culture, whatever it is. And then that really trolly person is going to just lift all that language and shoot a threat. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. You know, and, and this is something that you have dealt with in your, you know, as you, as you were uh, doing your surveys. So.
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. And, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm speaking to the business owners and the publishers and the, the people who run, large conventions and that sort of thing. You know, if there were somebody uh, in your store, let's just go back to the toy store or the game store analogy. And that person, you know, and this is the death threat that I got um, that there's a person, there's a customer in the store. This is just a a horrifying example of a very extreme death threat that I got. um, And that person turned to a a fellow customer in the store and said, I wish I could drop you into Alaska to have you um, be eaten by bears. And this was a very, it was a very elaborate threat. Were, I think it involved like booking helicopters and I would be dropped nude into a bunch of bears in Alaska. This person was obviously very deranged. If that customer said that to another person in the store, what would that do to your business? It probably would be bad, right? And it, it would be a conversation I probably would never forget if I was there on the receiving end of that threat.
0: And if the rest of the store... Saw that and yes. saw that was thought that was okay.
1: Yep, and the the staff was like, fine, you know, whatever. That person, he always threatens people with bears. He just likes bears. Um, and you know, I, I didn't I discounted the threat because I thought, well, that's really weird. Uh, what a strange thing to say to someone. But what would that do to your business? It would it it could possibly cause lots of knock on effects. You know. Um, the problem we've got is we've got a, this very small, tiny percentage, minority percentage of gamers who engage in this kind of conduct. But what they're doing is, has an outsized effect on the growth of the sector, on the growth of the hobby. Those voices, like, I, you know, that conversation, I probably would never forget that conversation. I probably would never go to that store again. But the store owner just decides, hey, cool, that's the bear guy. He says that to women that come into the store. I'm going to be okay with it. Your business will never, ever grow because of that toxic element, right? And again, you know, bringing it down to a store level is an interesting way to look at it because would you allow that as a business owner? Probably not, right?
0: And there's this idea that we're the toxic ones for insisting on addressing it. Yeah, you know, and I can, think that they, we get accused of being toxic all, all the time of like, Oh, you know, the BGG is toxic. And, you know, we can't say I can't say my, my thing. And it's like, Okay, well, what exactly are you saying? We're saying stuff like, um, I, I, I don't know, like, I saw this in a forum, that it just like blew me away. It's like, BGG banned me. Uh, you know, I don't know why BGG banned me. My, my comment was so innocuous. The comment was, uh, this woke BS is taking over the industry. And it's they're we, We're giving it to BLM Marxists. Yep. And that was the comment. It's like, how could I have gotten banned for that? It's like, really? That's a yep. question? And it's like, <laughs> when you build a permission structure that says, oh, well, they, he talks about BLM Marxists all the time. you know. And meanwhile, my wife will come with a BLM shirt and it's like, okay, well, there's angry BLM Marxist guy. He's ranting again. What they, what's, what's my wife going to do? Exactly. Exactly. You know? And it's, it just multiplies over, over different examples. Yep. And it's like, you know, we're, we're not trying to get rid of all the white men. We're not racist against white men. We they're, we, they're, strong language, but at the end of the day, look at the sweep of our arguments, look what we're trying to actually accomplish, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting dynamic. So if someone was in the middle of a mall or in the middle of a store or in the middle of a street shouting these things, what, what would happen to them? You know, if I were shouting, you know, homophobic, sexist, racist remarks in any setting in a private business what would happen to me and i think that that's that's the kind of thing that you know we tend to not conflate online with offline and i think we need to do that more we need to say okay if i were shouting that on a street corner corner great point what great would great happen point. to me right mm-hmm. but in an online forum well you know let's just leave let's just leave it if no, i can't yeah I can't if, if i
0: say something online and i can't say it in real life then it's probably going to cause a problem
1: exactly exactly yeah for sure
0: so yeah i mean i think we've really drilled down <laughs> and tried to understand where the pushback comes from and the moral panic. i love that i didn't even know you did a, a whole paper on moral panics <laughs> oh
1: I, I i adore moral panics uh they're, they're really funny. And, and actually what's what's great is when you look at them historically you can say well that was dumb um but you know, it's that it's the the distance of history, the distance that hi- history kind of gives you to go. Oh, we've been through that before, mm-hmm. and we got through it. And Wait. people drive cars now, or you know, people ride bikes. Uh, and well, no one... have black
0: women on board game covers. It's not bad.
1: And, and yeah, you know, and, and and the, and, the world you know, didn't and... end. Satan mm-hmm. didn't take over. Um, you know, people didn't change physically uh, like they thought with board uh, with uh, bicycles. So yeah. All right, so uh, this was
0: uh, Tanya Poboda, please uh, let us know uh, what is in the future for you. Probably more presentations of this very thing that you shared on shelf stories in terms of the demographic stuff. You probably have a because I, I, I could tell like you've given that <laughs> a couple of times. You probably have more of those. So tell us where you're gonna you know you're going in the future.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm I'm actually I've just finished academic conference season where you share your preliminary results. My dissertation is now going into final review. Um, I'm hoping to publish either a book or a a collection of essays, Um, and I'm going to be doing some publishing, uh, various academic journals. I'm going to try to make them all open journals. I did commit that uh, to the people who participated in my survey, so you'll be able to read it. It won't be behind a paywall. Um, And I want to keep doing this work, um, because I think this sector really needs a level of professionalization, a level of audience research, um, and I'm really, really keen to share my research for free with any publisher who wants to sit down and talk to me.
0: Very easy to reach. Uh, T Pobeda on Twitter. Yes. And uh, Instagram and a different area, different links like that too. What's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah. it's uh, So it's at um, Pobeda Tanya on Twitter okay. and then just T Pobeda on Instagram. I'm terrible at Instagram. So if I don't get back to you, I just don't spend much time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also um, go to my website, uh, Tanya Pobeda And I have lots of projects there. All
0: right. Uh, thank you very much for stopping by the show. Do not be a stranger. Thanks so much. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody.